he preached a sermon on um, Hagar, and he talked about a God, the God that sees, and um, it was really cool because I think in that, having gone through all the stuff that we're going, like I think this, people have can say, oh yeah, this is flat out discrimination but this stuff has been happening all the time and so it just does feel like god do you even see you know um because it's just this is just one more thing (laughs) it's not the only thing and and then even to be honest with you like uh, a couple weeks back we were just fasting and praying because of ice and didn't know because there were there was ice raids happening i had never seen an ice patrol cop car until recently in my neighborhood and i'm like that's a serious problem because we're supposed to be a sanctuary city and so it just sucks to know that on one end you're getting bombarded on one end on the other end you people can come into your church and shoot it up you know you don't know where you're gonna get hit (laughs) it's just like it's just this weird tension so it just does feel like where god do you see us welcome to listener I'm your host, Sam Holland. In today's episode, you'll hear four of my Latina and Latino colleagues describing what it's been like for them since the mass shootings took place the weekend of August 3rd, in particular, the El Paso shooting. Thanks for listening. Matthew Melendrez. August 3rd, I got in bed and... I have bad boundaries, so I got on my phone and looked at workplace <laughs> at like whatever time that was. I think it was like 9.30 my time. Well, we're on the same time zone, so 9.30. And I, I saw your post in cultural the cultural competency group on workplace about the shootings that had taken place that day. And I'm just going to read a little part of that post. One thing you said is, My heart is shattered this week after two white supremacists targeted and killed brown people, one near my hometown. A man drove hundreds of miles to kill Mexicans. Let's let that sink all the way in. It's days like today where all feels hopeless, where I wonder if people care, where my family, we all being Mexican, fear for the future. So Matthew, of course, that just grabbed my heart and my attention. I think I might've been one of the first people that saw it. And I wonder if you could just take us Mm -hmm. back to Saturday Mm -hmm. and even to Saturday night when you were crafting that post and thinking about what you wanted to share. Totally. Yeah, so that morning I had saw the early, I'm, I'm very avid in reading the news throughout the day. And I had saw the early reportings that there was an active shooter with not much information. And so I kind of just kept checking back in. And then probably around two o'clock, I saw that there was allegedly about 19 people who might have been killed. And so just right there alone, just mass shootings, I, I really am heartbroken over and tuned with. And this is also on the cuff of last week. with the Gilroy shooting, which is about 15 minutes from my hometown, that was a targeted racist shooting. And so I think on Saturday, it was just really sad that there was another shooting. I was getting ready to go to one of my best friend's weddings. And so I was just kind of watching it as it was unfolding. 
And then I kind of wasn't able to look at it for a while. And then I remember seeing it all starting to unfold really fast that this guy was a white supremacist, that he had posted stuff on a website, uh, he had posted a manifesto. And so I read some of it and I just remember it was during the cocktail hour where I just was outside, just sick to my stomach. And so heartbroken that this was a racist event. And so, and then just throughout the next few hours, I just kept seeing more and more news unfold. And so it was actually, I remember vividly there were, everyone's dancing inside and I just had to step outside because it was just like this really, I felt kind of disoriented. Here I am at a wedding and 22 people were just killed. And then seeing that he drove 600 miles and as each piece of information came out, my heart just sank more and more and more. And I just sat outside of the wedding and just very, yeah, disoriented and just didn't know what to do. And so I think I just, I, I didn't know, I didn't know that it would be something that many people would look at, but I think knowing that many people have said, I just don't know, I don't know when these things happen. And so I just posted my raw thoughts. I just wrote it all out and, and then posted it. and. Yeah, so it was just a really dark night and then just continual things coming out over the next 24 hours, seeing the second shooting that happened later on that night in Ohio. But just seeing things, like one of the pieces of information I learned that I think was one of the most heartbreaking in the midst of it is that this guy, this terrorist, had gone into the Walmart for an initial sweep to look mm -hmm. around and and then try to find where the most Mexicans were. And he even told this to the authorities that he went there to kill as many Mexicans as he could. And so he went in and did a sweep of kind of the layout of the store. And then he went back in and got his stuff and did what he did. And so I think that no matter what, mass shootings are horrific and, mm -hmm. and the grief that comes from it is you don't measure lives on what race they are. So it's not about this is more tragic, but I would just say for me, it, to see how deliberate and calculated it was to drive 600 miles to a city that is heavily populated with Latinos, Hispanics, and a town that's on the border, it just was so calculated. And it just, I think it just made me think of how deep the hate and racism goes. To, to go that far out of your way to do that. So it was really, really a heavy day. It's been heavy since. As, as, as I read the stories of the families and the victims and parents both being killed or two-year-olds being shot, parents watching their kids get shot and killed, it just it's, it's just so hard to read. But I'm also not going to remove myself from what happened. You actually opened your post saying... Today, a man drove 600 miles to kill Mexicans. I hope after Crew 19, we as a staff family will respond, will lament, will act. I hope that we mean what we said last week. And I wondered, what was it that you heard at Crew 19 that prompted that last statement? I hope that we mean what we said last week. Well, Crew 19 for me was a very overall life-giving week of what I saw and heard on stage. 
and for to see Sandra and Eric specifically speak, I think for for so long has felt like the Latino Latina voice has not been heard as strong in our organization. As of April 2018, there's I believe 68 Latinos Hispanics on staff. And so I think it just can feel very isolating and to see that Sandra was one of the opening talks and she went there on all these different things, it just really made me believe. Like I know the programming team is knows what they're doing and I know that some parts of our leadership really back what was going to be said. And so I think that just to see so many of the talks hit race, ethnicity, power, immigration, and white supremacy, it just was really encouraging. It made me, re- what I've said since Crew 19 is I've never been more proud of our organization. And this, I wish that this exact conference can happen where we invite church leaders and pastors and elders and deacons to come and listen to uh, the exact week play out. Because I think that's what our, the church as a whole right now needs. And so throughout that week, I was honestly just in a very good way, just surprised of how far we were going there on a lot of things. And it feels like a lot of the conversations that me and a lot of my friends of color have behind closed doors was happening on stage. And so I, I think that I also, it was a very, although I said it was life-giving and I was very proud, at the end of the week, it's like, okay, let's see if we can walk the talk. And I think that there, I know there was a lot of people who weren't happy with, with Crew 19, but I know there was a lot of people who were and even are trying to figure out ways to be involved, ways to continue learning. And so I think that after Crew 19 and then this happening, it's like, all right, we're, we, we called out racism as one of the things that Satan has done as a father of all lies. We talked about how we want to be a caring community, that we want to be an organization that stands against these types of things. And so I think that it's very easy at any type of conference to get all hyped up, but then, okay, now when the rubber meets the road, can we do it? And so I think that's a lot of what was behind that was we just had this amazing week and for a lot of people after Crew 19, and this happens at the end of Lenses as well, is I can see and hear a lot of my white brothers and sisters at the end of a Lenses week or something like Crew 19 say things like, I just want to go home and process, decompress, kind of unwind for a bit, and, and then kind of process more in a couple weeks about all that I learned, my life has changed. and But even within that statement, I think there's a lack of still getting it of, well, people of color, when they leave, they go straight to the airport and still deal with this. We still go. So from Crew 19, where a lot of people went on vacation or can do these things without thinking about those things, it still confronts us in our daily lives. For me, two days after Crew 19 was when the Gilroy shooting happened. And so it's it's kind of right there and then this. And so it, and a lot of my staff of our friends of color this last week since these shootings happened we've been texting and caring for each other and and so it's like already we're into we're in a trauma care and a for validating fears and and so i think that's where i don't want people to get so removed from crew 19 and get caught up in just the rest and processing and all that kind of stuff but dive into it right now 
cannot take a vacation from systemic racism. No. Yeah, we can't take that kind of vacation. So, Matthew, in another part of your post, you shared, I also hope this, me posting this, will not be labeled as liberal to political social liberal justice rather than justice as written in the Bible, partisan, causing division, taking away from our identities in Christ, all things said to me over the years or anything else that deflects what happened today. So can you say more about that statement? All things said to me over the years. Yeah, so I think... Three years ago, right, you know, 2015, 2016, pre-election, as these things, as one of the posts on the, that someone quoted uh, the president of some of the stuff that was said before elected, before the election, those things were being said, and it, it, I was kind of do social media and just conversations, just trying to get people to share, like, do you agree with this or disagree with this, and and so as I kind of posted things about statements that were being said, asking do people agree with this do, and, 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 and how the silence is really speaking volumes right now because the things that he was saying that Mexicans are rapists, they're criminals and sharing things that weren't factual, it was, and then everything with the border wall and just a side note regarding that, it's just how people don't understand the oval racism and how what's going on at the border. And so even when you look at statistics, federal statistics through the U.S. government, the, the number one way that people are here undocumented is actually by overstaying visas. And so in 2017, there was about 56,000 Mexicans who overstayed visas and who are here now undocumented. That same exact year, there was 110,000 Canadians who did the same thing. And so it's very clear. It's like it's literally double the amount of white people doing what's being said at the southern border. And so it's just facts are, are, are not part of the conversation. But during that time, it was just this rhetoric that was so strong, so intense. And so as I tried to put myself out there to combat oppression and to combat injustice, that for that, at least that point, it was very more like more responses were negative and pushback than positive. And I got people emailing me, Facebook messaging me, telling me, I don't know what racism is. I'm overreacting. I'm being too sensitive. I'm being too emotional that we don't need to care about the social, you know, social justice is not biblical or we, it's taken away from evangelism. It, or yeah, and then the things I said specifically that I'm being too political, too I'm liberal, and I would I would have people who who would call me and say, hey, so I see that you care about racism. Do you believe in gay marriage? And and just like these jumps that people would make of my character, and there would be accusations about my character. And over the years, I have gotten pushback from staff. I've gotten pushback and a lot of supporters dropping and making a lot of accusations in the midst of it. And so that's what's hard even as someone being Latino and I've always struggled with support and, I, and then it's, now I feel like I'm at the mercy of my supporters of, of as I try to combat oppression and justice, I lose money. And, and now it's like that money's not worth, not worth it. But so I think these are all things that have been said to me by a lot of people. 
And I think that the last three years have been very painful in crew and just in the church of the overarching silence from my white Christian brothers and sisters. And honestly, the last three years, I have felt more comfort, more support, more care as I'm trying to live out kingdom values by my white non-Christian friends. And, and so I think that has been something that has like, this feels very backwards to me. And so I put this as a disclaimer because I didn't, it, it, it feels like those statements that this is too political or liberal as a way to deflect away from sitting in the truth. And, and also just, there's a lot of inconsistencies because I have seen over the years, other staff post about other things that they're passionate about that are political and there's not pushback. And so it's like how we kind of measure what is worth saying and what's acceptable in this community. And so calling out racism, white supremacy and injustice in this kind of way that causes all of us to look in the mirror is very uncomfortable. And so I think that these things that people have said are a way to deflect and not sit and look in the mirror of the ways that we all contribute to injustice systems. It's just a matter of how I, as a male, contribute to injustice that, that oppress women. And I, don't, and I think that for me as a Christian, I should find so much freedom in the gospel that that doesn't define me, but that doesn't excuse me. And so I, I, I'm in a lifelong journey of undoing sexism and patriarchy. And I even tell people it's easy to talk about sex trafficking because that doesn't cause us to look as men in the mirror. But we talk about domestic violence in America. We talk about rape in America. It, it, you, you have to take a look in the mirror. And so I think there's just a lot of people who don't want to do that. And so this is a deflection. These statements is just kind of an easy eject button. And then you couple that with power. Uh, a white Christian male who's in leadership telling me these things, there it, it shuts me down on every aspect. So that's why I, I posted that because that's what myself and all my friends of color experience as we try to cry out for justice. Janet Diaz. Janet, you live in Texas. And mm-hmm. I know we're all reeling from the shootings that happened, one of which was in El Paso. How has that affected you, the, the racist mm-hmm. part of the intent of that particular shooting, um, living in Texas, mm-hmm. having your family in Texas and your ministry in Texas? Um, what was it like for you over the weekend and even now? Oh, you know, sometimes you think, gosh, another shooting, right? You're just... Just in general, the shooting is just overwhelmingly a tragedy and you're mourning the loss of just an innocent lives and and just thinking, like, what is in this person's mind, you know? But really, like, how much this person had to believe what they believed and how much hate they had. So regardless of, you know, um, you're always thinking, wow, so sad. I can't believe this is happening again. But when you add the layer of this young man driving, you know, eight, nine or seven and a half, whatever hours to a particular place and then scoping out the place and then going back and getting his weapon, 
because he was like, oh, yeah, this is a, a good place for me to, you know, do what I feel is necessary to um, a particular group of people um, to, I don't know, you know, just because of the hate he has and the belief that he has. It's just, oh, it just adds another more um, painful, you know, thought. And so, yeah, I think it's just really difficult and and um, sad. And I think... Um, even though I live in Houston, I feel like I have to be aware of everywhere I'm at. You know, it doesn't matter that I am that the city that I live in is very diverse. I'm still like now, oh, if if I talk in Spanish, will somebody be offended if they believe that, you know, because of my dark hair and dark skin that I am um, a threat to them? And so. Yeah, not, now I'm not just feeling this when I go towards, you know, on a road trip somewhere and being careful of where we stop, but now it's just everywhere because it's just at a Walmart, you know? And um, and so, yeah, it's really painful, and I think I'm still, because I'm such a processor, I'm still processing, I'm reading, and I'm sad, I'm, I'm, I'm checking up on other people around me to see how they're processing. Uh, I it's difficult not to want to get super angry. <laughs> it's like, I just want to be in this like angry mode. And I told my husband, um, you also have to, I have to also check myself because if someone catches me in the wrong place and I'm just in a mad, mad mood, I might say something that's probably not going to be respectful, you know? And so I might pick a fight instead and I don't want to do that. Um, but because of just how upset, upsetting it is, um, and because I just, it, you know, it, um, people just have really wrongful ideas of who we are as, a, as people of color, but then also just even individual groups of people of color, what people, re- the stereotypes that people believe about us. And that's just sad. And it's sad because I think that there's Christians that believe that too. Janet, I know that you are the team leader now for Houston for all the high school ministries, right? For, for the Houston mm-hmm, area. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, and I know school hasn't started yet, but is this the kind of conversation that high school students are having too? I mean, did they, how much are they talking about these current events with each other and with you and, mm-hmm. and looking to you to ha- to lead kind of those discussions? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, um, they are definitely having those conversations among each other, you know, and um, I know that I personally always ask whenever there's a shooting, whenever there's a situation of injustice, wherever, um, especially with the particular students I work with that are, are students of color, then I'm asking them. In some cases, they're like, oh, it's, you know, that's very... I didn't even know that happened. And I'm like, how did you not know that? And in some cases, they're very aware of that happening. And it just brings up a dialogue and a conversation of experiences that they've had themselves, you know, and things that have occurred at their school and things that people have said. Um, and, of course, working with women of color, then it's it adds another layer to it because it's like, oh, yeah, you know, this kid said this about me and it, it mostly had to do because she's a girl and because um, she's a person of color. Or even, like, our teacher said this and it was just really ignorant and very disrespectful. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, blown away. It's like educators that are saying things that are ignorant as well. 
So um, I've tried to be really um, that if they weren't aware of something that I'm going to like tonight, we have a Bible study and we're going to talk about it. You know, we're going to talk about this and just even just to sit and mourn and lament. But then, you know, talk about what are some practical things that you can do? What are some things that you need to educate yourself? And I encourage the ladies I work with to educate themselves about their ethnicity, about their history Um, so that they're aware. I think sometimes they're not, sometimes there's a protection feeling when you're in high school, like, oh, it's not, you know, like, oh, kids say dumb things, right? But then they go off to college and they become segregated in these groups and they feel very alone. And so it's very important for me for them to know their history um, in their ethnicity or their culture, but also what does the Bible have to say about this? You know, what is what is it that 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 God says about who you are and um, and that they can marry those things together, that they are image bearers and that God values them as women and as women of color. And so if people are not having these conversations, there is out there, not just with high school and college and even middle schoolers, we need to be having those conversations. And even there's moments where I have conversations even with my daughter, you know, about them she's young, she's younger, she's elementary, but still, even when the teacher came home uh, or the teacher told her, go home and ask your, t- your mom the real story of Thanksgiving, I was like, okay, that, that's a good teacher right there because she was really like, let, let, let your parents tell you the, the historical thing that had occurred in our country. And so it's important that we ourselves learn about the history of, of the U.S. and of our, our people and then how does that... Um, transfer to like how we do ministry as well. Dina Martinez. Has it what was it like for you when the shootings happened, particularly the one in El Paso that was clearly racist by his own admission? Um what's that been like for you and for your community? Mm-hmm. Um I mean it's been sad for sure like um but, you know, it's not the first time. This is just the first time somebody's publicly out there doing something. You know, like, this stuff has happened all the time in my family and to my community. So it's not, like, the first time. <laughs> it's just the first time that somebody gets mm-hmm. caught doing it because they put a manifesto up. They um, actively, bl- bluntly did some an mm-hmm. act of terrorism, you know. And so they're getting caught <laughs> um, doing something. And so, but it is heartbreaking. But I think it's almost like, in some ways, it is a little bit of a relief, as in, like, I told you so. Like, I've been trying to tell you that this is real. Like, I'm trying to tell people that racism is real. I'm trying to tell people that discrimination is real. But they keep on saying we're crazy. <laughs> You know, so I feel like now I'm like, well, are we really look this dude just did this crazy extreme thing. It took him. It took somebody like that to do something for 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 them to be able to acknowledge that that is an act of terrorism. They had to do 22 people had to die um, for somebody to admit that we have a problem with white supremacists in this country. Um which is just a bummer, but it, it's ex- that has existed. It has existed a long time ago. I think 
as as Latinos and immigrant community, they just learn how to how, they've had to be okay with it be, be with that injustice, um, and they can't say anything. And so I think we've just learned how to cope with suppressing those that the anger or suppressing that that hurt. Um, and I see it lived out with my family all the time. I mean, I remember one time when my my dad travels a lot and he's been pulled um, or they've been, they've, he's been, uh, what's it called? The rifle has been pointed to him. And um, when he was um, driving through um, um, Colorado and Nebraska to, to go to Nebraska um, a, cu- a couple years back um, because he wanted to get his tire changed because he had a flat tire and they didn't want to he the guy told him that he doesn't he doesn't his his business isn't open for people like him and so because he's brown but my dad my dad is darker than me so (laughs) he gets a lot more racist stuff that happens to him but i'm saying this type of stuff people assaulting people and trying to kill people and shoot people because they're brown like I think this is something that is very common. I don't. It just doesn't get publicly told to people. <laughs> um, and my dad's lucky they didn't shoot him. They, he left before they could shoot him, but he was just, you know. Um, but that if confront like um, I I'm, I'm thinking of the word in Spanish like I'm in a sad, but I don't know how to say that word in English like threaten, threaten, you know. So, yeah, I don't feel surprised if that helps. Dina and her family live in Los Angeles, and I asked her if her pastor mentioned the August 3rd shootings the next day, August 4th, during their Sunday service. Yeah, they did. They did talk about the shootings. They addressed it. They prayed for it. There was actually somebody in our church whose family member was in, was passed away that was a victim from that shooting and so um yeah they did definitely talked about it they prayed over it and um he preached a sermon on um i'm blanking on her name hagar and he talked about a god the god that sees and um it was really cool because i think in that having gone through all the stuff that we're going like i think this People have, can say, oh, yeah, this is flat-out discrimination. But this stuff has been happening all the time, and so it just does feel like, God, do you even see, you know? Um, because it's just this is just one more thing. <laughs> it's not ju- the only thing. And and then even to be honest with you, like uh, the, a couple weeks back, we were just fasting and praying because of ice and didn't know because there, there was ice raids happening. I had never seen an ice patrol cop car until recently in my neighborhood and I'm like that's a serious problem because we're supposed to be a sanctuary city and so it just sucks to know that on one end you're getting bombarded on one end on the other end you people can come into your church and shoot it up you know you don't know where you're gonna get hit (laughs) it's just like it's just this weird tension so it just does feel like where god do you see us because you know yeah, you don't you don't win it. Like you don't feel like you're winning, you know? Like you can't trust who do you trust? You can't trust the cops. You can't trust 
the people you can't trust like civilians white people feel weird like mistrusting <laughs> um and even in the inner city, even within our own people, you know, because there's internalized racism because they've been, they grew up thinking about this and now they believe the lie. They believe the lie we have fed them. And so it's a whole, it's it's wild out here in terms of like, who do you trust? And it feels kind of hopeless sometimes. And so... It was cool to hear him talk about a God that sees and how he handles um, Hagar's story and Ishmael's life. You know, this is her story and this is his life, even though they're not, he's not the one that, that, that chose him, like Israelite people. He still gets blessed. And it was really cool to hear that sermon because... I needed to hear that. <laughs> um, and my parents, they also talked about it and they prayed about it. And they're still talking about it. They talk about it every day, actually. <laughs> but, um, yeah, because we have to think and process now. Me and my sister, Blanca, have been processing through, like, how do we make our church an official sanctuary? What does it look like for our church family here to be safe? Michelle Blanco. You commented on a post of Matthew Melendrez where he was responding back on August 3rd to the shootings that had happened that day. Um, the, Gilroy sh- the Gilroy shooting had happened a few days prior, but then the El Paso shooting and the Dayton, Ohio shooting, but specifically the El Paso shooting because of the, ra- the racist intent of the shooter. And so, yeah, I just wanted to get your point of view on that, um, just coming out of that and probably still um, feeling the effects of that. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Um, So I think it stirs up um, fears that probably a lot of people of color have had um, probably since about 2016. Um, since you know the presidential election and just kind of the stirring of language that um, usually brings up um, just racism um, in people that maybe harbor it or or yeah, just kind of don't realize certain thoughts or feel that certain thoughts or feelings uh, come from racial backgrounds um, or racist backgrounds, and so. Um, that whole season kind of sparked a lot of fear, of course, in, in many people of color. Um, I made posts even back then, probably on the regular Facebook, um, just saying, like, I hope they don't go into my community. I hope nobody comes into my kid's school, which is a predominantly um, Hispanic school. Um, and even as today was the first day of school here in, in Orlando, the Orlando Kissimmee area, and you know, that's kind of the first thing you think about. Like, this school is probably 80 or 90% Hispanic. Um, And so you just hope it doesn't get targeted. And so earlier in the day, somebody had sent me a message saying, hey, did you hear about the shooting in El Paso? Um, And I wanted to see if you were okay. And I had seen something, like, scrolling on Twitter, but when I see something on shootings, I try to to lately not... um, will take care of myself in the sense that if I take it on, because I'm highly empathetic, um, I can potentially go in a downward spiral. And so um, 
So I waited on it. Then she sent me the message, and I'm like, okay, it must be pretty intense. Um, so, so after I, you know, sent my husband and kids, you know, they were in the house all day. It was raining, so they, you know, wanted to go out somewhere that Saturday. And so I sent them to the Florida Mall, which is, you know, also in a, in a very Hispanic part of town. And um, was starting to read things, and all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my goodness. What if this is an organized attack? Um, and nowadays, it's way easier to plan something organized than it was 50 years ago. And so if people wanted to do it, they have the access to do it, um, to be able to send a message nationwide. And so um, I started thinking about that, and then I'm just like, hey, text me make sure you're to make sure you're okay. Um, it's in a mall, so, you know, a lot of people. Um, and the bummer is, is that the mall... Even in, t- in 2016 or 2017, that particular one is one of the places I feel most safe um, as a person of color because it's so incredibly diverse. Like, you see all kinds of people. Um, you see it's Hispanic, Black, um, people from Middle Eastern countries, you know, Asian Americans. I mean, because it's Florida and it's, you know, near, near-ish to the Disney area, to other touristy area so you see all kinds of people there it's just beautiful and so it's just kind of that one place you feel like you're gonna be safe and so and to have that marked as maybe a not safe place anymore is a bummer thanks again for listening and stay tuned because over the next weeks and months i'll be posting full episodes of matthew janet dina and michelle